This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for all those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Here we are still in the octave of Easter. We celebrate all of these eight days, these first eight days of Easter, as if we were celebrating Easter itself. Uh, each day I've been doing morning prayer and Compline. I, I live stream those over on Facebook. If you've not yet had the opportunity to come and join me for prayer, I want to invite you to be a part of that. Uh, I do that every morning at 8 a.m. Central. Uh, we do morning prayer, and then every night at 11 p.m. Central, uh, we do evening prayer. And that's because I live over in Pacific Time, and I'm trying to balance the the time zones uh, to be able to to accommodate people in both time zones. And honestly, the reason that Compline is so late at night is because I got to get my kids to bed first uh, before <laughs> before we can have a nice quiet. Compline together. So um, I want to invite you over there, facebook.com slash step outside the walls slash live, or just come to the facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And it's one of the posts in there as it each day a new one comes up. Uh, and there's a couple of things with this. One, it gives us an opportunity to interact uh, in, in a very specific way together, uh, praying the prayer of the church. We get to meditate on Scripture together. This is a, a huge thing, and it makes a really lasting impact on our day. Uh, both when we do it in the morning, it carries us through our day, and when we do it in the evening, it kind of caps off our day and helps give context to the things that we experienced. Uh, and and so it's just a wonderful thing. But the reason that this comes up is that this week, morning prayer and Compline, night prayer, both together, really, in a very significant way, treat every day within the octave as if we're celebrating Easter. We get the antiphons, we get the uh, the the psalms themselves from the day of Easter, and, and not just to give us a different aspect of Easter, it's like we can't really get the fullness of the mystery, the Paschal mystery. We can't fit it all into one day. And so the church wants us to uh, really hit the pause button and gaze a little bit longer at the mysteries that it gives us that day. Uh, it, it's like one of those scenes with a whole bunch of Easter eggs in it. Uh, and I mean this not, not in the sense of Easter, but like, you know, you watch a movie and it's got a lot of uh, things to find, you know, those movie Easter eggs. You got to pause it. You have to take a look at all of the various things that are scattered about the screen uh, so that you can catch everything. And that's what the church wants us to do. It wants us to pause everything and sit in Easter day in the Easter mystery and look for all the Easter Easter eggs. Uh, if you can follow that, then you you really do need to come and follow me on Facebook uh, because you and I are going to get along. Facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. I do a lot on Twitter as well. The handle there is at outside the walls. I would love to have you be a part of that ongoing conversation uh, I so enjoy our time here where we get to talk to one another for about an hour and hear something very interesting. And today is no exception in that regard. Uh, but there's so much more interaction that is available, uh, coming and praying together, lifting one another up in prayer, 
uh, interceding for one another, really living out that communion of saints and finding other people who are dedicated to living their lives as missionary disciples and being a part of that community online. So I encourage you to come and pray with me in the morning. Uh, My wife joins me in the evenings uh, at 11 p.m. Central. And uh, sometimes, every once in a while, the baby is not quite ready to go to bed. And so uh, she joins us as well. Uh, And I'd love for you to be a part of that prayer also. So for this past week in in these prayers, we've been sitting on Easter Day. We're going to do that all the way through the eighth day of Easter, which in, in recent memory has been given the name Divine Mercy Sunday. Uh, and this is the day that everything kind of gets tied together in a bow. And we, uh, we now focus on the fact that mercy was the mission, that the whole reason that Christ came into the world was to show forth his mercy, was to show us that his justice and his mercy are not incompatible, but they are in fact the same thing. That his mercy, his mercy is is just, and his justice is merciful. That his justice is not the the angry, um, glaring-eyed, finger-wagging God looking at us and saying, "Look how bad you were," right? And neither is his mercy. Uh, you know, bubblegum and rainbows saying, oh, there's nothing wrong at all. You don't have to worry about anything. His mercy is medicinal. His mercy is restorative. And so is his justice, right? These two coexist together. They are not, uh, his justice is not mere vengeance. His justice is for the sake of bringing restoration and healing. And his mercy is for the sake of bringing restoration and and healing. And so this is a day for us to to ask ourselves as we get into divine mercy Sunday tomorrow, do I have a proper conception of God? Do I have a proper conception of what it means for God to be love? Do I have a proper understanding of what it means for God to be merciful? Or do I have a half picture? And if I have a half picture, then this is the opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit through prayer to say, help me to see the fullness of your glory. Help me to to really have a better picture of this mystery, this Paschal mystery that God, the God who created the universe, the, the, the transcendent almighty God subjected himself to aging. The, the changeless God subjected himself to human nature, which by its essence changes. We grow, we eat, we, we sleep, we have states of change. And so now this changeless God takes on our nature for the purpose of reforming that nature into his likeness, to give us again a share in the divine nature and the divine life um, by virtue of his taking on that flesh and his redeeming that nature And then, in a specific way, not only redeeming our nature, but then coming specifically to us and redeeming us by his mercy. Now, here we are. Mercy probably seems like something that is far removed from us as we are smack dab in the middle of very difficult times and strange times at that. 
Uh, we look at the people who are suffering and the people who have died. We look at the people who have lost jobs and perhaps the, the people, quote unquote, who have lost jobs, perhaps that person is you. And you look in the mirror and you see the suffering and, and you say, God, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand your mercy in this context, but I need that mercy. I need this to change and I need uh, at least the assurance of your presence. And so this is our opportunity to do that. As we are sitting in the Paschal mystery, sitting in this Easter day, we get to look at our lives and say, what does it mean right now for me to be a Christian, an Easter people? What does it mean right now for me to trust in Jesus and to rely on his grace? What does this aspect of Christianity look like? It's one of the reasons I've so appreciated uh, getting into this habit of doing the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, if you've been with me in the mornings and uh, in the evenings online, you've heard me say this before. Uh, but every morning, we start off saying, uh, really every morning, every hour that we pray, we start off saying, Oh God, come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. Right, We start right there with a recognition of our great need, but we end every psalm, whether it be a joyous psalm or a lament, whether we extol the fact that God has saved us or whether we say, how long will you turn your face forever? Will you be angry with us forever? Every single psalm ends with glory be, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Because we recognize that no matter what our situation is, we need God's help. Even if we're on the highest mountain of, of jubilation, we need God's help. Come to my assistance, make haste to help me. But no matter where we are, whether we're in the depths of despair, we can look and say, even here, God deserves all the glory. Even here, God is merciful and kind. And even if I don't fully fathom it or understand it or perceive it, I know it to be true. And so I love those aspects of the prayer that uh, it reminds us, no matter what state we're in, that we need help and that God deserves the glory. And this reminds me uh, of this divine mercy image. I'm sure that you've seen it. It's this lovely picture. We're going to have it up on our social media as well. This lovely picture of Jesus with two rays of light coming from him, uh, a pale ray and a red ray. And at the very bottom of this, at the bottom of this picture of Christ gazing at us with love and his mercy flowing out of his sacred heart, he looks at us and and our response to that, and it's written there at the bottom of the image, is Jesus, I trust in you. And our trust is really made most evident in times like this. When it looks like everything is falling apart, do we trust in him? This is when our trust is really tested beyond just the profession of trust. We say, Jesus, I trust in you. Uh, but when the rubber meets the road, how do we exercise that trust? Do we trust that God is good when we can't see it? Do we trust that he is going to be right by our side and, and dwell with us and remain with us even when we feel lost and alone. Here, we get the opportunity to meditate 
on Christ's mercy, to exercise our trust, and to really lay down our concerns at his feet, to say, here are the things that trouble me. Here are the things that trouble the world, that trouble those people in my community and who are close to me. And Jesus, I trust in you. I give them to you. I give over the right to worry about them, and I lay them in your hands, and I let go of the timeline that we're going to see the solution to this. Because Jesus, I trust in you. One of the ways that I pray uh, is to say, God, here are the things that I am worried about. And I know you said not to be anxious about anything, but to offer everything to you in prayer. So uh, to, to make my request known to God. So here I am, I make my request known. Here is what looks best to me. This is the thing that um, if I had my, my druthers, based on the way that I can see the world right now, this is the thing that I would ask for. Uh, and so here I am, Lord, and I'm asking you for your grace. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We're going to be talking today with Father Paul Henry. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And he has a fascinating story of this very thing, of uh, having God kind of upend his expectations. And he kind of stumbled in, as most of us do when we come to a true understanding of mercy, he stumbled into this idea, to the understanding of divine mercy, really stumbled into getting to know about St. Faustina and her story and the divine mercy devotion, and by divine providence was given a front row seat to St. Uh, Faustina Kowalska's canonization process. So, Father Paul, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure, really. So talk to us a little bit about this, this, this story of uh, entering into... Uh, this new understanding of mercy and your your way of stumbling into divine mercy. Uh, in 1995, I was a pastor in one of our parishes at St. Patrick's in Heavenly Grace. And at that particular time, I got a call requesting that I would lead a group to Poland on a pilgrimage. And I said no, uh, not because I had anything against Poland whatsoever. I didn't know that much about it. But I know Ireland liked the back of my hand. I told the people this, and I said, we have a very fine Polish priest, I'm sure would know this better than I would. Well, they went back, and then they called again, and they said they keep getting my name in prayer that I should go. And the priest who was supposed to go uh, had gotten sick. And uh, so they said, Father also is getting your name in prayer. I said, well, let me pray about it. So I did pray about it, and, and then I, all I could get was to go. Well, the result was that when I went, uh, that I would end up being introduced to, to uh, Faustina, to the diary, uh, to all of the various aspects of Paul. I couldn't have asked for uh, a better group. To, uh, and I was with Father Seraphim, who some people would know uh, from uh, the Divine Mercy Shrine in, in Stockbridge. He was on that trip as well, and so I was really very, very fortunate there. Uh, but one of the things that took place for me was that the priest, actually, who had gotten sick, and I, I really probably should finish that first for you, that when I, re I was asked by the archbishop, and, and because when he went over, he was to bring back a major relic of Faustina, which was a gift to our archdiocese. Mm -hmm. uh, so since he couldn't go, I was asked to go, and so I went then uh, to visit the sisters, uh, I've in his convent, and they would get that particular one to me. Uh, when I returned, then uh, 
the priest who had been sick was pastor of Holy Rosary Parish here. And the father said that since you brought it back, perhaps what you should do is you should be the one uh, to, uh, uh, to, to hold it up in veneration for her feast day, which was October 5th of that year. Mm-hmm. And so what happened then was that uh, the father would venerate the relic, went over to the side, and he would not be feeling well, and he would end up in the hospital. He was already having some problems with his heart. And while he was in the hospital, uh, that they would have the miracle there, which would become the miracle for Faustina's uh, canonization. Uh, Father Ron Pytel is the priest, and uh, they would actually, the doctor that John Hopkins would actually show the various uh, pictures of the heart and they were pointing out to us, this should be a young heart. Uh, this is the heart after. This should have been the heart before. And it turned out that there was a miracle overnight that he was there. And this would eventually then go on. Uh, and then uh, in, in the year two, in 1999, I got a phone call requesting what I consider coming to. They wanted to know what I was doing for Divine Mercy in the year 2000. And I said, I'll be in my parish. They said, well, the Holy Father would like you to come over for concelebration. They're going to have uh, the canonization of Faustina as the first saint of the new millennium. Hmm. So, of course, that was April 30th of that year. Well, with all of this that was going on, what it forced me to do was it forced me to take a better look, actually, at mercy itself. Yeah. Because the term mercy is so glibly used. And unfortunately, English can be a rather fluid language. And unfortunately... The term we use is, is a rather weak one sometimes. And you see it as a judge who's more lenient, sometimes more lenient than what some people think that they should be. Right. He was too merciful in that. But when you really get into the study of the understanding of it biblically, what you understand is the mercy of God, his compassion, uh, you know, is deeper than any possible love could possibly ever be. Uh, is a love that is so deep that actually that the second part of it is uh, that even in Isaiah, uh, what the father says is, even if a mother would forget her child, I will not forget you. Mm-hmm. And and so it's even deeper than a mother's love, which is so profound in and of itself. But then the third part of mercy also is it's a love that is undeserved. Right. So for those of us that are sinners, they, they, God doesn't owe it to us to be merciful to us. But God would, would say, and actually in John's gospel, we find where it says that, 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 that uh, the Father would send his only begotten Son so much that he love us. He sent us that we might, 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 might be saved. And, and, and so when you really got into these various aspects of, of, of what mercy really meant, it started to create a deeper sense within me. That one of the problems that I had with it originally with, with divine mercy itself was I had a great, I, I grew up in a very Catholic family. We had a great devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I really had to understand, you know, what was the difference between these two? And already one was approved, one was not. Right. Uh, and so I was really uh, at a loss when I was asked to go on this trip. And I really think that, that the Lord in his own way, because what I came to realize was that actually that the, the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is a personal call to the individual, asking for that individual to do reparation, to contemplate the heart and the love of Christ, 
But then divine mercy is the other side of the coin, where the Christ says to us, now that you've contemplated my love, now take it out into the world as well. And so we are to be mercy then for the world, that as the Father has loved us, so we should love others as well. So uh, I hope that's, that's you know, before that I go on any further, whether that, that kind of was answering the question that you had there that you were bringing up. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking today with Father Paul Henry, uh, who is part of witnessing the, the miracle that led to the canonization of St. Faustina and part of that canonization mass. Um, something that you bring up there that we have to go out and be mercy. Uh, back in 2016, Pope Francis uh, spent some time talking to his priests as part of the Holy Year of Mercy. Uh, and in a, in a retreat that he led in Rome, uh, to the priests of Rome, he, he said to them that um, mercy is a verb and not a noun. And so often we treat mercy as if it's a noun. Mercy is a thing, God's mercy, uh, rather than the, the action of God uh, in being merciful to us and showing that mercy. And so Pope Francis was saying to them, and then also by extension to us, that mercy is not just something that we receive, but it's something that we have to then act out and, and be a part of. And I, I would really much, very much agree with that. You know, the, the, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy are very much a part of the church. And you kind of learn them in your catechism, but they're kind of put aside. Mm-hmm. Actually, what we see is mercy really being demonstrated every day. Uh, one of the ways that I found actually was, when I was looking back on, on this trip that I was referring to, was the persistence of those people uh, who wanted me to go to, to Poland for them because they, they had come across this whole idea of mercy, but they had seen it actually in their own families as well. They, they, they had been taught how to be good to other people, how to share what that they had. And, and this particular parish where they came from was really founded by the immigrants from Poland. And they built this magnificent church on pennies. But the, nonetheless, that they would give back to God some of that. But all the other various things that that parish did was extraordinary, reaching out to different people that were there. Uh, so one of the things about uh, doing mercy is for us to ask ourselves, first of all, do I indeed I take care of mercy in my own home? Mm-hmm. How, how do I treat the other people who are there with me? And I, in our case, we live with other people in, in, a, in a residential area. So, so what, what is the situation here? But like for parents and, and uh, you know, and it, 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 you know, how, how do I allow the love of Christ to come through me to touch these various people? And sometimes it's not just by words, it's also by actions. And one such type of action we refer to is giving things to the poor, things of this nature. But other actions that I would see, like in my own family, my father was a mechanic and he was a, uh, he was a very big man and, and very much of a man's man. And, and, uh, I remember that, uh, you know, mother would be teaching us our faith and everything. But daddy would have, have that, that simple faith that was there. And where I would say it was sometimes when I made my first communion, I would look over and there was my father bowed over in prayer. But here he was adoring the Lord who he loved that he would speak to in, in, in his own way about his family, caring for them. That would be shown then in the kindness to us and how he would raise us as well, too, uh, with my mom. Uh, but that was I said, sometimes it's those little things that people do that are mercy to start with. But then we have to ask ourselves, do I close in on myself? Am I willing to give of myself to the other? 
And as I think where that it starts first. Yeah. One of the things that I, I think of, and we'll, we'll get to this a little bit more in the second segment, but this phrase that's at the bottom of that beautiful painting, Jesus, I trust in you, and the implications that come from that, meaning that sometimes the divine mercy of God that comes to us is, is not warm and fuzzy. Sometimes that mercy takes us through difficult things because the purpose of mercy is not just to pat us on the head and say we're good and, and pass us on and overlook our sins, but rather mercy is always intent in cleansing us from our sins. Oh, I, I would very, very much you know, agree you know, with that as, as far as, like one of the things that I mentioned about, about my, my, my father was the one thing is also sometimes there is discipline that can come. And we see that also within the scriptures, uh, that a father will discipline his son. And that's an act of love at times as well, too. And that's also a mercy that's shown, that assists the person in order, when they're growing, to develop that way. And the same thing are the various crosses that we have. You know, uh, I remember one saying one time that I came across, and it said, uh, the Lord will never uh, uh, take us out of a cross, but he will walk, walk with us through it. And I think that that is very, very profound for us to understand that when we trust in Jesus, Jesus is always going to be there for us. And sometimes when we do, it doesn't mean that it's all going to be light and frosty and everything, but rather more deeply that no matter what the circumstance is, whether it's good, whether it's not, that Jesus is going to be right there by our side. And that's been his promise. And before he left with the ascension, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of time. Well, that was being spoken of not just to the whole group, but to each one individually. And I think each one of them, you know, we should feel as they were called by name when Jesus has trusted me and he'll be there for us. You know, this reminds me of um, of something Pope Francis said, and I don't have the exact time uh, that it was, but it's been within the last three years. And he talked about mercy in light of uh, the resurrection and specifically looking at the mercy that he gave to Peter versus the mercy that he gave to Paul. Uh, and he said that that both, both of them received God's mercy. Both of them encountered Jesus and received God's mercy. And with, um, with Peter, all, all he needed to receive the mercy was a look. And as he received that mercy and he heard the, the rooster crow, he recognized his need for God's mercy and he repented. With Paul, it took a little bit more direct action. Uh, Christ had to appear to him uh, in blazing light, knock him off of his horse, and blind him for three days for him to sit in humility and come to a place where he recognized his need for God. And then he received the mercy of God. But what's the same in both of these is that God's mercy is seeking first and foremost to restore us to relationship with himself. And that starts with our recognition that we need God's mercy. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Father Paul Henry, a priest, a retired priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, uh, as he shares with us his front row seat into the canonization of St. Faustina Kowalska and his unfolding understanding of divine mercy. It's a fantastic conversation. Come join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Come be a part of that community. And don't go anywhere because there's much more coming right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Father Paul Henry. He's a retired priest from the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and he has just this fascinating story of his connection to divine mercy, as he mentioned in the last segment, uh, where he got to be, um, because another priest fell ill, he got to lead a pilgrimage to uh, to Poland, brought back a major relic of uh, Faustina Kowalska, and then because he had was able to go on that and bring the, the relic back, he got to have a front row seat and be right in the center of the unfolding drama of that last miracle that ended up in St. Faustina Kowalska's canonization. Father Paul, it's a pleasure to have you here today. So here we are, we're going through a very difficult time in our, uh, in our world right now. Uh, what, what is a, a, an example that you have experienced maybe in the last uh, month as we've been going through this, where you've experienced personally uh, a mercy of God in the midst of this difficulty? You know, there have been a couple situations, not just a couple, but a constant situations. Uh, one of the things that we had here that we, we had this custom that they hire kids from our local high schools and colleges, and they're the ones that wait on the tables here and things like that. So when we go down for dinner and things of that nature, uh, and then later on that they, they're given scholarships as well too. But one of the things that we see is that they're the ones who bring us our meal. Like right now we can't leave. And so we can't go come together into a dining room. So each person has to have their meal delivered. And, and the kindness and, and the smiles in their eyes, because they're all wearing masks, uh, of them making sure that each of us have our dinner is, is, is there is one of the big things that was there. Uh, another one is to see my brother priest. We have a, a private chapel upstairs for the priest. And uh, that when I go in there, and then I see my brother priest praying there at the same time. We're not always there together because obviously we we can't be. But it was just the very act of them being there, praying on behalf of our people, praying on behalf of one another. And there's Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament reminding us, reminding us when we go and say Mass, remember, you know, that your people can't be here. Another thing that I've got are people who will call and they will be very solicitous about how am I doing, uh, former parishioners, uh, people who uh, have been friends, uh, people that I've served with, uh, people that are students that I've taught. Uh, and it's been really, you know, very encouraging to realize how much that they really got out of whatever it was that we were, were giving. Many times we as priests don't think that we're doing that much for people. We always want to do something more. But now we can't. Right. Except one thing I did find is every one of those people would ask me, Father, will you take me to Mass with you? Mm-hmm. And that was very powerful for me. Because now what I do is when I approach Mass every day, and I say every morning, and the first thing that I think of is angels are already here adoring him. And you are the privilege to come here. You can wait for this altar. You can't come alone. Mass is never private but rather that the entire church is there, the church universal, the church in heaven, the church here, the Holy Father is there. You know, we're, we're all there together. Yeah. And so in a small way for me, it's able to give back. Because before I even start, I'll, I'll say, Lord, may I put before you the people I wish to pray for and those you wish me to pray for. And then let me enter into this union with you 
in your person that I might bring you and the altar again through the Father and the Spirit. And then remind myself that when the kiss of peace should be given, that once again I remember all of our people once again, and especially those who have asked for those prayers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think back to that, that line at the bottom uh, of the portrait, the bottom of the painting, uh, Jesus, I trust in you. And I think of the different uh-huh. ways that we uh, encounter trusting in God. Uh, but ultimately, trust comes from uh, f- from what we have seen to be true, right? This is one of the reasons the psalmist so often recall and recount the deeds of God, because maybe they're not seeing them currently, but they can say, ah, but I know from historical reference that God is faithful. And I think some of the um, the writings of uh, Abandonment to Divine Providence by uh, by Father, I think it's Father Dom Kassad. And um, looking at that saying, you know what, even in the midst of my trials and, and of my, maybe even my fears and my anxieties, I can still look at the character of God and say, even here, even in this frightening place, Jesus, I trust in you. Uh, and so in some ways, for us to really come to encounter the mercy of God, uh, it starts with that phrase, with saying, right here, right now, uh, I'm going to maybe uh, put away my own observations of what I anticipate should happen, and I'm going to now trust in the the tender and and sometimes persistent uh, mercy of of God in this moment. You know, one of the things that really struck me uh, was when I was uh, dealing with all this, and and Father Seraphim, who is really quite an expert, uh, he's a uh, uh, one of the Marian fathers, and uh, but he's quite an expert on this. And and because that he really knew Polish, that when I saw the, the, the thing, it says Jesu Ubankovia in the in the in the Polish, and I, and I'm sure my Polish friends will will go into hysterics when they hear my accent there. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is, is Father. I said to Father, you know, when he said his Faustina is to have this painted, he said, and my signature shall be. At the bottom, I trust in you. And I said, Father, isn't that a mistranslation? He said, not at all. He said that actually Jesus was saying to us at that time, my very name is mercy. Mm-hmm. And that I will be with you, and, and it will be a profound love like you could never have imagined. And I will be with you, and you can trust me no matter what the circumstances might be. And uh, and, and you're absolutely right. That, that the key to there. And one of the things that I found rather impressive to me, because one of the priests I lived with happened to be a Dachau concentration camp. He was one of the liberated priests who would have he would be uh, learn his theology in four languages there, and then he would be ordained in Rome after the liberation. And he would bring this up about how much that they they in, in Jesus during that entire time. But one of the things they came up with, he would remind me, is that when Christ appeared at Faustina, it was during those times of the beginnings of communism, of Nazism, of fascism, and there were a whole boxcars that were taking people to concentration camps. And what they would find in those concentration camps were small little pictures, and those pictures were of divine mercy. The priest had mimeographed them. Hmm. And Father Saposhko would make sure that and they, these would all... Be, but they would find them in these boxcars at Auschwitz and these other places as well. Because these people were holding on to, in the midst of the darkest hours that we had in the last century, 
Jesus would be there. And he would be there in the midst of the darkness of a world. But if he's there for them then, I begin to think he's here for us now with this pandemic. Uh, he's here for us in a very special way as a country, as a church, as a diocese. And, 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 he's, and if he was there in their darkness. And I remember when I went to Poland and then to Lithuania, uh, this was for 9-11, I was there to preach. And when I arrived in Poland, one of the ladies said, Father, you were there in our darkest hour. We'll be there for you and yours. Mm-hmm. And it brought back all that that came back to me about the concentration camp and how Jesus, I trust in you, was a constant word on those people's minds that were there. The father, so, so that uh, uh, Father Okroy, who was the priest that I was, that I was, I lived with, he was at Dachau, that he would bring that up. That the Eucharist was the center for them, and Jesus was their constant, as far as that was concerned. But that's that that, that, that whole idea of this. This is my signature. This is how I will sign my name to you, Jesus. I trust in you. And if you see that, you, it's almost like putting it on a check for us and saying, "You have this guaranteed by me." Yeah, because this is who says this to you. We're talking today with Father Paul J. Henry from the Archdiocese of Baltimore uh, about divine mercy. And one of the things that I'm noticing in the midst of this pandemic, and we can see it by looking around uh, at at the culture around us, we see it as we look at other large shaking events in our in our that world history, that um, that anxiety takes hold, and when anxiety does take hold, uh, it creates in us really a bad decision-making and panic and uh, navel-gazing and depression and anxiety and all of these other things that, um, that you don't see in the lives of the saints. You don't see it in these, these priests who ended up in the concentration camp. You don't see it in St. Perpetua uh, who faced her martyrdom with, with, with courage. You don't see it with the, mm-hmm. the 21 martyrs in Egypt. And I think that this is the key because they knew and, and had firm confidence that they were not adrift in the midst of these frightening circumstances, but that Christ's merciful presence was right with them. So I think my question for you is, how do, what are some things that, that we can do uh, as, as lay people, as Catholics, to, um, to foster in ourselves the awareness of Christ's enduring presence of this divine mercy, uh, beginning to to appropriate it more fully, to experience it more fully, so that we can, with confidence, face the tumult of our world and of our lives with the same confidence of the saints. One of the things that, that I've, I've seen is that, you know, if I say for people will pray, you know, that's exactly what we should do. But before any of that, I would say, put yourself into the presence of God. And why did I say that is, that, that when you put yourself in the presence of God, you realize he's right here with you. If what you have to do is sometimes when you sit down and you go down to pray, you, if Jesus is truly there in the Eucharist, then we know that he's truly present there. But because that our people can't get to the, the, to the Eucharist like that they have, then sometimes what you need, like in, like St. Francis de Sales in his introduction to Devout Life, he mentions in there about before anything else, before ever praying whatsoever or anything else, whatever you do, St. Paul says, do all for the, for the, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what we do. So putting ourselves in God's presence and being aware Jesus is sitting across from you in your living room. 
Jesus is right there. God is present everywhere is another way of looking at that. But the very idea that if he says, if you say there, I, Jesus, I trust in you, then I'm speaking to someone. Do you really step for a moment and consider that Jesus is actually here, that he's truly present there with you? Because that's what his guarantee was. I will be with you always. And so, uh, first of all, in our prayer, the next time, like, for instance, when we sit down to meals, do we, do we take the time to realize the Lord is at the table with us as well? Uh, do we take care of the idea that, and another whole thing that I don't think is really used very much anymore, is the whole idea of the guardian angel with us. Yeah. That God has provided for us this whole understanding. You know, he's provided these angels to be, I was able to support you in all your ways, you know, and, and, and so that the, the angels who are with us, God has provided for us. But not only the angels, God has provided his only son. And each of those things that you spoke of, each one of them would realize that when they keep putting those on the presence of God, there's a sense of peace that comes from knowing that the Lord is with me. If things seem to go wrong, I still have somebody with me. I'm not by myself. And that's true for people that are, are in, in their homes by themselves. They're never by themselves. If when they stop for a moment and then put themselves in the God's presence, they say, Lord, I know that you're here. Please let me speak to you. And then to speak to him in a conversational way. So uh, that's one of the things. I think another thing is uh, be careful of how much TV that you watch. And I don't mean that sarcastically. What I'm referring to is make sure you know what type of TV. Like if you're constantly looking at things that are always negative, right. whatever they might happen to be, then that's going to add to your negativity. Our God is not a negative God. He's a positive God. He's a God who wants us out of love to be constantly there with us. He seeks for our happiness. And so we have to also do things that will prevent us from falling into these things. And one of the things that you just start to feel when that you're watching the TV or listening to something, that it starts to, to, to drift you into things that are not feeling good to you, then move on to something else quickly. Right. Because that sometimes is the enemy being there, to, uh, like especially if you're going to develop a prayer life, that the devil is going to get himself involved in there. And I don't say that lightly. I really believe that that... that uh, uh, and that negativity is something that the enemy can use. Francis de Sales had a beautiful saying. He said, the devil likes to fish in troubled waters. Mm. And, and so sometimes we need to be aware, are the waters too troubled? And do we need it? And if we do need to get out, do we turn and say, Jesus, I trust in you? But what you're saying here is also straight from, from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he says, uh, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, mm-hmm. whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Put our attention on on the, the true and the good and the beautiful. And then lastly, you brought up this idea of, of speaking conversationally with God. And there's this beautiful uh, little treatise, this little uh, translation with annotation by uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori called How to Converse Continually and familiarly with God. We're going to put that up on our social media for you to read through. Uh, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We've been talking today with Father Paul J. Henry uh, from the uh, Archdiocese of Baltimore, just with a beautiful encouragement on divine mercy. Would you mind if I just gave you a blessing before that I laugh? Please do. Thank you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we know how merciful and loving that you are. And so we ask that indeed during this time we prepare for Divine Mercy Sunday, 
that we realize your great tribunal of mercy is open. The very gates of heaven are open to us at this time. And Lord, we ask that all who hear these share today might indeed feel your gentle presence among them. And may your blessings be upon them, especially in this darkest time. And the blessing may the God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit descend upon you all, remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking with Father Paul Henry today, and if you want to hear some more stories from Father Paul, specifically about some other miraculous experiences that he's had uh, as he has gone to Poland a, a few times, and in that connection between divine mercy and the sacrament of confession, then you want to be a part of our Patreon community. There's a great community of supporters who love the show, want to see it continue, and so they give a little bit each month uh, to make sure that this show stays on the air. And in gratitude, I give them all kinds of goodies, including weekly exclusive extra segments. Uh, we've got a great one this week as Father Paul does share uh, some miraculous stories. And uh, I would love for you to be a part of that. So the way that you do that is go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says Patreon hyphen support the show. Click that link, follow the directions, see the level of support that best fits the, the rewards that you want to receive, best fits your budget, and consider becoming a part of that support community, getting access to all the archives of all the extra segments uh, that we have previously done. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture comes from the first epistle of St. Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are safeguarded through faith to a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the final time. In this you rejoice, although now for a little while you may have to suffer through various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that is perishable even though tested by fire, may prove to be for praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, yet believe in him. You rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That reading comes from the book of First Peter, that first epistle of St. Peter. And I, this is really interesting uh, because here he gives us some instructions, some, uh, some practical steps that we can take, and he puts it in a, a grander context for us. You will... You may have to suffer through some various trials, and, and don't you know, right now as a world, we are most definitely suffering through some various trials. Uh, but within this, our the genuineness of our faith is being tested, just as gold is tested through a fire, and that gold is precious even though it's put through the fire, that here in the midst of uh, this life, we endure some suffering. It strengthens our faith. It refines our faith, and all is for the praise and glory and honor uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All of this is for the salvation of our souls. And so as we experience these trials, let us turn, and with uh, St. Faustina, 
turn to Christ and say, Jesus, in the midst of all this craziness, in the midst of all this pain, all of these trials, Jesus, I trust in you. Our reading today from Church History uh, is going to come from a sermon by St. Leo the Great. My dear brethren, there is no doubt that the Son of God took our human nature into so close a union with himself that one and the same Christ is present, not only in the firstborn of all creation, but in all his saints as well. The head cannot be separated from the members, nor the members from the head. Not in this life, it is true, but only in eternity will God be all and in all. Yet even now he dwells, whole and undivided, in his temple, the church. Such was his promise to us when he said, See, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so all that the Son of God did and taught for the world's reconciliation is not for us simply a matter of past history. Here and now we experience his power at work among us. Born of a virgin mother by the action of the Holy Spirit, Christ keeps his church spotless and makes her fruitful by the inspiration of the same Spirit. In baptismal regeneration, she brings forth children for God beyond all numbering. These are the sons of whom it is written, They are born not of blood, nor of the desire of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In Christ, Abraham's posterity is blessed, because in him the whole world receives the adoption of sons, and in him the patriarch becomes the father of all nations, through the birth not from human stock, but by faith of the descendants that were promised to him. From every nation on earth, without exception, Christ forms a single flock of those he has sanctified, daily fulfilling the promise he once made, I have other sheep not of this fold, whom it is also ordained that I shall lead, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Although it was primarily to Peter that he said, Feed my sheep, yet the one Lord guides all pastors in the discharge of their office and leads to rich and fertile pastures all those who come to the rock. There is no counting the sheep who are nourished with his abundant love and who are prepared to lay down their lives for the sake of the good shepherd who died for them. But it is not only the martyrs who share in his passion by their glorious courage. The same is true by faith of all who are born again in baptism. This is why we are to celebrate the Lord's Paschal sacrifice with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The leaven of our former malice is thrown out, and a new creature is filled and inebriated with the Lord himself. For the effect of our sharing in the body and blood of Christ is to change us into what we receive. As we have died with him and have been buried and raised to life with him, so we bear him within us, both in body and in spirit, in everything we do. That reading comes from a homily, a sermon by St. Leo the Great. And there's something in here that I want to pull out, uh, specifically this line toward the end, that um, 
the, the effect of our sharing in the body and blood of Christ is for the purpose of changing us into what we receive. Uh, this is not original to me. I've heard it many times over. But all the time when we eat, our bodies do the business of turning the things that we eat into us, right? We extract the nourishment from the food that we eat, and our body turns that into cells, which then replenish the cells that die. And so our purpose for eating is that we eat things and we turn those things into ourselves with everything except the Eucharist. And as we come and we receive the Eucharist, this merciful gift from God, this does the opposite. It takes us and makes us into the body and blood of Christ, the incarnation of Christ to the world. It turns us, gives us a sharing in the divine nature, and it turns us uh, into Christians, right? Little Christs. It makes us more fully into God's image. We are conformed to Christ through the Eucharist. And this is a difficult time for us because we're not able to receive the Eucharist, but the Eucharist isn't, uh, we don't receive it quantitatively, right? We receive it qualitatively. Uh, If you have the smallest little crumb of the Eucharist, you've received all of Jesus. And if you have the largest host you could find, you haven't received any more of Jesus than you otherwise would. And so the sacraments, uh, a friend of mine put it this way, the sacraments are the kisses of God to us. Uh, It is his grace to us, but it's by no means the only way that we have communion with God. And so even in this time that we're unable to receive the Eucharist, we recognize that this process of us having received the Eucharist over the years, the the purpose of that is to make us more and more like Christ, to turn us into that which we receive. And so now is the time for us to turn our attention uh, to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe, I believe that you are in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I believe that you want to radically transform my life through my having communion with you. And even while I am prevented from having that, receiving the Eucharist in a tangible way, Lord, help me to receive you fully, uh, as fully as you can. Come and be joined to me and help me to be joined to you. And, and I think that you will find such fruitful communion just from taking that moment of silence and offering it over to Christ and saying, Jesus, this is the time right now. Point out the places that, that I'm not lining up with you. Help me and turn me by your grace, by your divine mercy. Uh, help me become that which I have received. Make me like you. And as we pray that with sincerity, the Holy Spirit's going to take us at our word. He's going to take us seriously, and he's going to begin that really important work of pointing out to us the places we need to grow. That's all the time we have for this week. Take the time, Sunday, 3 o'clock, pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It's going to be impactful for your life. Today's show is brought to you by Joe Robertson. All those who support the show through Patreon, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Join me every morning and evening for morning prayer and compliment over on social media. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.